Hello, and welcome to another episode of Wealth Planning Illuminated. I am your host, Teresa Marks, a Senior Wealth Strategist at CIBC Private Wealth in the U.S. I am joined today by my colleague, Beth Mayfield, also a Senior Wealth Strategist at CIBC Private Wealth. In today's episode, Beth and I will discuss lifetime gift planning and those strategies that you might want to consider if you're otherwise thinking about making a lifetime gift to your family. This is part one in our four-part series focusing on lifetime gift planning. So with that, we'll get started. With the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017, the lifetime exemption amount was increased. And as a result of that, I think a lot of our clients are looking at how can I use that exemption? Should I be using that exemption? And really starting to focus a little bit more on what are their gift giving strategies? What are options that are out there? Whether the option uses their exemption or doesn't use their exemption, the increased focus, I think, has, has been interesting and I think would be you know, helpful to talk about. So what are some strategies that you're seeing clients use and, and what's helpful to clients? I think one of the most common strategies we see, regardless of what their remaining exemption is, is the GRAT. And that's a, a grantor retained annuity trust. And basically that's structured where the grantor will create an irrevocable trust and transfer property into the trust, but retain a, a right to an annuity payment over a certain term of years. And basically the way it works is the annuity payment will be that the grantor retains will be given a value and that will be subtracted out out from what's transferred into the trust for determining the value of the gift. And then at the end of the grad term, that's a two-year grad, at the end of that two years, whatever's left in that grad will actually transfer to the beneficiaries of the grad free of any additional estate or gift tax. So no matter what the assets grow to, yes. the fact that when they put the, the property in, subtracted the annuity, that's what gets us the, the value. Yeah. So this can be just a really great strategy for assets that maybe maybe you're in a concentrated position mm-hmm. or assets that you expect to really significantly appreciate over time. It's a great option. And something I really like about the GRAT is that there's not a lot of risk, right? So you're putting the assets in and retaining that annuity. So you're really driving that the value of the gift down, even possibly to zero. But then if the grantor dies during the term, the assets come back into the grantor's estate, but there's no harm, no foul. There, there's no there's no penalty for that. So you, you have a lot of potential to get that growth out without really any downside. Absolutely. Really, the only downside is just the cost of, of actually setting up the grant. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there, you said it's, it's a win-win for sure. I have found that a lot of clients that look at grants often also look at sales to grantor trusts. They, they seem to be pretty similar in what they're trying to achieve. So maybe we could talk a little bit about what's the sale to a defective grantor trust. Yeah, and that's that option is it's great. It really plays on the the difference in treatment of from an income tax perspective and a state tax perspective in the trust itself. So with this strategy, basically what happens is the grantor would transfer property to a trust. Nothing changes there, but in, in exchange for that transfer, they get a note back from the trust. So they're selling the asset. They're selling the asset. But from an income tax standpoint, the grantor and the trust are essentially the same taxpayer. So there are no income tax consequences between on the sale, on the sale of the asset or on the payments back for the note. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that can be a huge benefit to not have the income tax consequences. But then if you look on the estate tax side, they, they get all of the future appreciation out of the estate, just as they did in the grad, which can be a huge 
huge benefit, especially for those highly appreciating assets. So even though the grantor receives a note in exchange for the, the, the sale, the, the note doesn't appreciate as fast as the asset might be. So they're That's in correct. effect freezing the value that otherwise would be in their estate for estate tax purposes. Which can be a, a huge benefit for mm-hmm. a taxpayer. And I find what's interesting too about sales like this is you can allocate GST tax exemption to these trusts. So you, you have the benefit not only of the transfer and the appreciation out, but also you know, to make it GST tax exempt. Absolutely. Which, you know, just it just makes it even more beneficial to, to think about that as a strategy. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I see clients using family, you know, limited liability entities, whether it's a partnership or, you know, an LLC, you know, in connection with, you know, maybe a grant or a sale to a grantor trust. So how, do, how does that work? And, you know, how does that benefit a client? You know, I think we're seeing more and more um, creation of the family limited liability entities. One of the main reasons I think clients really like this as an option is because of the flexibility. Mm-hmm. You know, basically the way these would be structured is a client would create a limited liability entity, and then they would transfer assets to that entity. And then they would gift the interest in the entity to family members or to a trust for the benefit of those family members. But with the the entity itself, the structure, the ownership, the documents for that, it's much easier to change than it is to change an irrevocable trust. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like voting, non-voting, or who the manager is or not, and, and really trying to kind of flush some of those details out as you go along. Correct. It's a lot more flexible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do, how do clients use them? So they use them to fund trusts and, and to, to, to consolidate assets quite a bit? Yes. I mean, basically, you could, you could take the interest, you could create the entity, transfer assets in there, and then you could actually, instead of transferring the asset into the trust, you actually transfer the interest in the entity. Mm-hmm. So that's where the, the trust owns the interest in the entity, so the entity itself is still very flexible. Mm-hmm. It's outside the trust. And so you can do a lot of changes with that. So that's a, a huge benefit. And it really allows people th- the use of valuation discounts. Mm-hmm. Because when you transfer those interest in the entity into the trust, a lot of times it will be a minority interest. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll have voting rights. And so you can, in addition, you can get the valuation discounts, which can be a huge benefit from an estate, estate tax standpoint. Another option I'm seeing a lot of clients look at is using their exemption with trusts called, often called lifetime credit shelter trusts or spousal lifetime access trusts, or as you know, state planners like to call them, SLATs, um, in order to use their exemption. So can you tell me a little bit about those and, again, you know, how, how that helps a client you know, with their estate planning and their estate planning goals? Yeah, we are, you know, we're seeing more and more of the slats with the increased exemption. People, like you said, they want to take advantage of that of that big number right now. But there are people that are hesitant to to give away that much money during their lives, especially some of our younger clients. Mm-hmm. Um, so the slat's a good alternative and a good option for that. Because basically what the what the client would do is they would create a trust for the benefit of their spouse and their ch- children, transfer assets into the trust. But the the spouse and the client could continue to to have access to those to those assets through the spouse being the beneficiary of the trust. So if husband and wife or you know two spouses needed to access the trust, the, the spouse who's a beneficiary could request a distribution or 
access the trust app. Correct. It just gives them, it's a little bit of a safe harbor Mm -hmm. where the the spouse can, you know, still access the trust. And so, you know, you're you're giving the property away for estate tax purposes, Mm -hmm. which is great, but yet you're still being able to retain an interest through the spouse, Mm -hmm. which is, which is a good benefit. And and you can also allocate GST exemption to these, which is sort of an added benefit Mm -hmm. to these. And when you say allocate GST exemption, you can maybe give a little bit, you know, what what does that mean? Yes. So GST exemption is an additional tax on top of the estate tax when you're passing assets down below more than one generation. So when you allocate GST generation to the trust, anything that's in that trust is is basically exempt for for future generations. And it can go as as for as long as the trust is in existence, it's going to be exempt from estate and GST tax, which is a huge benefit. So this would be a reason that that you would not want the spouse to draw on the trust mm-hmm. unless it was absolutely necessary mm-hmm. because those assets are protected. But yet, once again, if it was needed, the spouse could access the trust. And I think that just gives a lot of clients peace of mind. Yeah. So you're really leveraging not only your lifetime gift tax exemption that's an all, at an all-time high, but also your GST tax exemption, which also is the same amount and, and, and at, this, at an right. all-time high as well. Great. So let's transition, you know, just to, to a final strategy that I think we see a lot of clients use, especially in this low interest rate environment, intrafamily loans. Um, you know, how does that work? And, you know, what's the benefit there? You know, with interfamily loans, really the benefit there is, you know, you're not using any of your exemption amount. So this would be great for a client that maybe is already maxed out their exemption amount, don't want to use it. But but basically it's a loan between family members. It has to have all the formalities of a, a you know, a creditor relationship. But yet you once again, you can use a, a loan that, I mean, an interest rate that is below what you would get at a, at a commercial bank. So that can be very beneficial for clients. And they a lot of times they like that. Almost like a grab where you're loaning the property and they're paying you back interest, but hopefully those assets are growing at more than the interest rate. So again, we're, we're kind of transferring yes. that, that extra, the bonus. Yes. So the client keeps the, 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 the promissory note and a little bit of interest, but anything over, over the top of that is, is correct. No, and, and no gift tax consequences. No gift tax consequences at all. It doesn't affect your, you know, your lifetime exemption, your annual exclusion, it uses nothing. Mm-hmm. But yet, like you said, the assets that you that you that you loan, basically, as long as the rate of return on that is greater than the interest rate that you're paying, it's a win-win. Yeah. You're gonna get that that additional that additional amount out of your estate. So clients really have a lot of options, whether they've used all of their exemption or still have some exemption to use, whether that's a grant, an intrafamily loan, a sale to a trust, or a slab. Really to, to really take advantage of the current environment where we have such high exemptions and, and some pretty, a lot of flexibility. Yeah, there's so many options. And right now with the increased exemption amount and just the, the opportunity there to use these options is huge. Mm-hmm. And it's really just a matter of, of really talking to the clients and their families and seeing what's the best fit for them. Um, there's not a one size fit all. And you can combine a lot of these strategies mm-hmm. together to really create the, the best overall plan for a client and family. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Wealth Planning Illuminated. We hope you found this topic interesting and that you will continue to explore the variety of wealth planning topics available to you on this channel. Thank you and have a great day. CIBC Private Wealth Management includes CIBC National Trust Company, CIBC Delaware Trust Company, CIBC Private Wealth Advisors Incorporated, all of which are wholly owned subsidiaries of CIBC Private Wealth Group, LLC, and the Private Banking Division of CIBC Bank USA. 
All of these entities are wholly owned subsidiaries of Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. This document is intended for informational purposes only, and the material presented should not be construed as an offer or recommendation to buy or sell any security. Concepts expressed are current as of the date of this publication only may change without notice. Such concepts are the opinions of our investment professionals, many of whom are chartered financial analyst charter holders or certified financial planner professionals. Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards Incorporated owns the certification marks CFP and Certified Financial Planner in the U.S. There is no guarantee that these views will come to pass. Past performance does not guarantee future comparable results. The tax information contained herein is general and for informational purposes only. CIBC Private Wealth Management does not provide legal or tax advice, and the information contained herein should only be used in consultation with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors. To the extent that information contained herein is derived from third-party sources, although we believe the sources to be reliable, we cannot guarantee their accuracy. The CIBC logo is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Investment products are not FDIC insured, may lose value, and are not bank guaranteed.